0: Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. I say that it's good to be with you this evening and grateful for the presence of each one. Thankful that everyone that was able to be here was able to be here. Thankful for the invitation to be here with you and uh, the opportunity to uh, study with you, to share with you from God's Word to anyone uh, who may be uh, joining us this evening and um, just really looking forward to the time together. It's certainly been different of late. it has been uh, challenges, changes, um, flexibility. You may soon see may not be one of my strongest points. It may not be. Uh, I, I'm willing to give it a try. I just don't know that I'll succeed at being flexible. I'm, I may break. So um, I want to invite your attention to the book of Psalms this evening. I want to start our study together in Psalms 100 and chapter 45. In Psalms 145, verse number 1, the psalmist said, I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, and it shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts. And I will declare your greatness. I read this and thought about the attitude of the psalmist here. Um, What was going through his mind, the heart set that he had, and I'm not one that's necessarily big on on pictures or or trying to illustrate or or artwork of of any kind of form, but they say a picture's worth a thousand words. And I just thought about that psalm in light of my own life. And I thought if we were going to put a picture up of someone that those words were descriptive of, would that be like you? Or would that be like me? Or perhaps to think of it in these terms. Maybe if a young child who had just got to the point of being able to speak and to communicate approached you and asked you the question, Who is the Lord? What would you answer this young child? Or maybe some other circumstance where someone would approach you and ask a similar question. Would these words, the words of this psalmist, these words of, of great faith that we've uh, taken from, from God's book this evening, would they be descriptive of you and I? And I hope that they would be. I hope they will be. And I hope that that's something, something that will encourage us and that we'll desire uh, to uh, show that for our life to say those words. Um, when we think about the question, who is the Lord? It's a question we find in the scripture Uh, a few times as we uh, read and study through God's word. And I think it's a a question that's worth our, our thought, our time, and our study this evening. Isaiah said in Isaiah 45, verse number 18, For thus saith the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. You know, when we start to talk about the Lord, one of the, the first things that we might hear that might be common, that might come up in, in casual conversation, is the word my. Someone saying, well, my Lord is like this, or my God has these characteristics or these attributes. What about you? What about your Lord? What about your God? And the question that I have and that I want us to think about uh, this evening from this statement that Isaiah made is Does your Lord, does your God look like the God of the Bible? Because there's only one God. There's only one Lord. And I don't don't want to insult anyone. I don't want to anger anyone. But when you do the math on that equation, if your God, if your Lord isn't the God, isn't the Lord of the Bible, then it's not the Lord. When we talk about who the Lord is, It's the God that's revealed to us in the Scripture. Who can we go to? How can we know who the Lord is? And the answer is we can go to His Word. He's revealed Himself in creation in many ways, and He's revealed Himself in His Word and with His promise to preserve that Word. And so this evening uh, we might consider uh, many different instances where someone brings this Exodus 5, verse number 1. we think about this question, who is the Lord? The Bible says, Afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. And so this question is put forth, isn't it? Moses says, look, you need to let these people go. That's what the Lord says to do. And, and Pharaoh says, who's the Lord? And then when I first read this, I, I see this as maybe not so much a matter of ignorance, but defiance. Who is this, this Lord that I, king, should listen to him? But he does go on to say, he says, I don't know the Lord. I get the idea. I get the feeling that that was a very conscious choice that he made. To not know the Lord. I don't want to know who the Lord is. And I don't want to listen to the Lord. And I don't care what he says. But maybe we give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe that's a question that's asked in in ignorance. What if someone asks us that question? We need to understand that there is the, the possibility that it's a legitimate question. Consider Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, this time verse number 22. The Bible says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim unto you. Yeah, individuals that were willing to worship anything, any image that might be carved, anything that had the the appearance of of what they perceived to be deity, they would devote time and set aside time to worship this. And they just wanted to, I guess you might say, cover all their bases. And so I said, well, you know, just in case we left anybody out, we'll, we'll have a little spot for them too and make sure that they get a little bit of our worship. Is that legitimate? Is that possible? I'm not sure that it is, but we see here, the Apostle Paul take that opportunity to address the ignorance that they had of the Lord, and say, this this God, this unknown God, I'm going to declare Him to you. And the conclusion of that declaration was, you're wasting your time worshiping all these other gods. He's the one God. He's the true God. And the one that you need to worship and serve. For some, the question of who is the Lord is an unfortunate decision that they make they come to in life. The wise man in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse number eight said, remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or Lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. You know what we need to understand? You know, we talk about hardships that we've gone, gone through and hard times. We need to understand that we are a rich people, a, a blessed people, a wealthy people. People. And the wise man understood, through inspiration of God, he understood that a very real temptation, a very real possibility existed. That we could become full, that we could become con- complacent, that we could heap up all these blessings that God had poured out on us and start to think that we had gotten them all for ourselves, that we had earned them, that we were self-made, and that we didn't need God. So much that we might even come to the point and say, who is the Lord? And what a sad state of affairs that that might be for anyone who truly knew who the Lord was and came to the point that they would have the audacity, the pride, the arrogance to say, who is the Lord? Recognizing that that possibility is real, turn to Romans chapter 1 and verse number 21 and we see that the scripture deals with this. He says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish heart was darkened. It's imperative when we talk about who the Lord is, and we begin to understand who the Lord is, that we draw the proper conclusions from that, and we act in the proper way. We need to be thankful and grateful to the Lord. We need to realize who He is, what He has done, And we need to respond to that correctly. Responding to that incorrectly, we set out on on a downward spiral. If you continue reading in Romans chapter 1, you see a spiritual decay and deterioration that is quite rapid. In Romans 1, verse number 28, he says, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. It's not a question of... Ignorance. It's not a question of lack of opportunity to know who the Lord is and what He's about. It's a decision that they made. I know who the Lord is and I know what the Lord requires. I know what He expects and I don't want that. I don't care. And so they devolve into very unfortunate spiritual decay. And we need to realize that that is a possibility. We need to realize that we have an enemy. Those of us who seek to know the Lord and to serve the Lord, we have an enemy that has an end goal for us, and that is to deny the Lord. The psalmist said, I'll bless thee. And he over and over talked about blessing the Lord and praising the Lord. In Job chapter 1 verse number 10, he says, Have you not made a hedge around him? This is Satan accusing God and accusing Job and, and slandering both God and Job. Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. And that's the slander, the accusation that Satan brings against Job. He only loves you. He only serves you because you bless him. You've poured out all of this, this substance on him and you've built a nice little hedge around him and he lives in comfort and luxury. And if you took the things away, he would look at your face and he would curse you is the charge that Satan brings. And we understand, we see revealed in that his desire for anyone who is to seek the Lord and to serve the Lord. That's the end that he wants to bring them to through the deceitfulness of sin, through his cunning craftiness. Just a little bit later in Job verse 2, chapter 2 verse 5, he says, "But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face." When the first attack didn't work, Satan was persistent, wasn't he? And he kept on coming. And now that all the possessions were were taken away and Job remained faithful, he says, we'll try another round. We'll take his health away. And if you do that, God, he'll curse you to your face. Again, we see Satan's persistence. We see the end goal that he has for anyone who would want to, to come to know the Lord and to serve the Lord. He would turn them away from that course and have them curse the Lord as opposed to giving him and blessing him the way that he deserves. When we think about and talk about who the Lord is, it's imperative that we understand first and foremost the Lord is not a man. You know, we hear the the phrase the man upstairs oftentimes when people talk about the Lord when they talk about God. In 1 Samuel chapter 15 as as Samuel is rebuking Saul and and the throne is being removed from him. He says, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent for he is not a man that he should relent. And he talks about one important thing that I want us to think about when we think about who the Lord is, is that he is not a man. And if we try to gain our understanding about the Lord, about God, through the lens of humanity, through the lens of the mortals that you and I are, then we're going to have a misunderstanding. We're not going to get where we need to be in our understanding of who the Lord is. And so the prophet Samuel, of course, makes this point and he makes it very clear that he's not a man. Because people, they have these ideas, they have these concepts, these notions. Well, people are like this, therefore God, and, and they misunderstand God because they, they operate from that assumption and that understanding. So we start there, and we understand simply that the Lord is not a man. Isaiah chapter 57 and verse number 15, the prophet Isaiah says, For thus saith the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. With him who is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. One of the first things that we notice about God that sets him apart from you and I, from man, from humanity, he says he inhabits eternity. Everything that we do revolves around the clock, doesn't it? it revolves around time. It's present when my children were born, when they came into this world. And that was a distinct mark. Somebody in that room called out a time for somebody to write down and document. When someone passes away, what do they do? They call out a certain time and a certain date. Almost like a time clock. We start and we stop. The workday begins, the workday ends. And in the middle, whether you wear one around your wrist, whether it's on your phone, whether it's what you get paid by or whatever the circumstance might be, time is everything, and it's constantly working. And we see as we grow in age, we we begin to wrap our minds better around the value of time. We hear people talking about how time goes faster. It stays the same. It's constant. But we begin to be more aware of how valuable that time is. God inhabits eternity. In Psalms chapter 90 and verse number 2, the psalmist said that the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. He's not a man. And we look at everything through our our human eyes and through this lens, and, and our mind is so tied together with this concept of time and the clock that if we don't get on a different line of thinking right from the beginning, then we won't even begin to comprehend who the Lord is. He inhabits eternity. He's from everlasting and to everlasting. He's not a man that he should concern himself with the clock in the way that we do. In Job chapter 42, verse number 1, the Bible says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. The Lord is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. And there's nothing, none of His purpose that can be withheld. He can't be defeated. He can't be stopped if there's something that He purposes to do. And when we start to contrast the Lord to a man, you think of the most powerful individual or group of individuals that you can possibly think of. And they won't come close, will they? They can be stopped. How much power do you have? When we talk about the Lord being almighty, think about all that that includes and all that that entails. Who is the Lord? He's the almighty. Revelation chapter 19, and verse number 6, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Word reigns to be king, to exercise kingly power. He's the king. He's in charge. He's reigning. That has implications. Paul told Timothy, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. What reigns and who reigns in your heart? I think we've seen recently, and it became quite evident, that for many people it was fear that reigned in their hearts. But what about you? That's why it's so important to know who the Lord is. To know who's in control. Who reigns. Because though He hasn't given us the spirit of fear, we can certainly adopt the spirit of fear, can't we? We can certainly let fear reign in our hearts and in our mortal bodies. But it's the Lord that reigns. Proverbs 26, verse number 10, The great God who formed everything gives the fool His higher and the transgressor His wages. He formed everything. He's the Creator. I've been saddened recently by some things that I've seen put on social media by some of my brethren that made a statement somewhat to the effect of just just saying a Bible verse isn't going to change anything. Just quoting Scripture doesn't accomplish anything. And I want us to think about who the Lord is. He's the great God that formed everything. He created. Psalms 148 verse number 5, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. Look at that list sometime. The sun, the moon, the stars, the angels. He commanded and they were created. His voice brought something into existence from nothing. And someone would say, "Just, just saying some of God's words. That won't change anything. I beg to differ. God's word is powerful. If you're a note taker, 1 Thessalonians 2.13 It effectively works in you that believe. His word makes a difference. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12, he says, it's alive and it's powerful. His word accomplishes things. Someone says, His word, this is just quoting a Bible verse, isn't going to change anything. It can change everything. Do we have so little faith, so little confidence in who the Lord is and his word? Daniel chapter four, verse number 34. King Nebuchadnezzar had an opportunity to learn about who the Lord was. It says at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. and His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and my splendor returned to me, my counselors and nobles restored to me. I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all of whose works are truth and His ways are justice. And those who walk in pride, He is able to put down. When we talk about an almighty God, it's the word that, you, that needs to stick with you. He's able. And there's many that speak great swelling words Of pride against the Most High, and they stand in defiance. Rest assured, He's able to humble the proud. And consider where you stand this evening because it's better for you to surrender your pride than to stand before the Lord and have it stripped from you. He's able. Abraham believed this. He was convinced of it, confident of it. Romans chapter 4, verse number 20, the Bible says he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in the faith giving glory to God and was fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. You know, sometimes I I throw out what might be considered a promise without really thinking about the extent of my ability. Have you ever done that? I'll be there, don't worry about it. (laughs) And I find out how Powerless I am when my tire goes flat when when somebody runs into me or I run into somebody else or, or whatever the circumstance might be that might hinder me from keeping my word that's not going to happen to the Lord every promise that he's made he's able to perform no one's going to thwart him they're not going to hold him back from delivering on the promises that he's made because He's all powerful. It's simply not possible. Who is the Lord? We consider His power. It goes hand in hand with His infinite knowledge or omniscience. Isaiah chapter 46 verse number 9. He says, Remember the former things of old for I am God. And notice this phrase once again. And there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end of the thing from the beginning and the ancient times things that are not yet. Done saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do my pleasure. Nothing is going to catch God off guard, as we say. Say, well, I got caught off guard. You could apply that to, to many situations in the recent past. Kind of caught me off guard. He knows the end of the thing from the beginning. There's no boundaries to his knowledge and we need to understand that and we need to understand the implications of that great knowledge. In 147 of Psalms verse number 5 great is our lord and mighty in power his understanding is infinite, infinite. It's without bounds. You could write many books and fill the ocean with the things that I don't understand. And I see them all the time and I say I just I don't understand. I don't understand. You know, there's times I've asked one of my sons, why did you do that? And they say, I don't know. And I remember back to being their age and getting asked the very same question and, and it was a truthful answer. I, don't, I really don't know why I did that. I didn't really think about it very much. I get, you, know, you can start trying to piece an answer together, but at the end of the day, maybe we don't know. Maybe we don't understand why we did what we did. God does. His understanding is without bounds. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 28. He says, Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator, the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Can't compare. The greatest of human minds simply can't compare. And it seems pretty evident to me that when we really, as, as, a, as humanity, think that we've really got things figured out, that it's fairly simple for the Lord to remind us that we don't that we just don't have all the answers. We don't have it all figured out. In Romans 11, verse number 33, Oh, the depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways are past finding out. Unsearchable and past finding out. Even if I were a much smarter individual than I was, it wouldn't be possible for me to wrap my mind around the depth, the riches. wouldn't be possible for you Understand how much higher God is than a man. And when you think about the depth of His knowledge, think about how that applies to how we walk before Him. In Psalms 104, verse number 24, O Lord, how manifold are Your works! In wisdom You have made them all. The earth is full of Your possessions. Think about that. We talked about the things that God has made, right? Earth's full of Your works. In wisdom... A wisdom that's unsearchable. A wisdom that's so vast and without boundaries, that's past finding out. An understanding that's equal to the wisdom. And in wisdom, he's made everything that he's made. When he created the family, he did it in wisdom. A wisdom that's so rich, so deep so vast, so past finding out, and we think that we can change that, that we're going to improve on that, that we're going to make that better in some way, that's nothing but foolishness. Nothing but pride and arrogance and defiance where humanity has come to the point where they say, who's the Lord? You think you're going to improve on God's design? People think the earth. We're going to burn it up. We're going to use it all up. There won't be any left. you think that's going to happen to the all-powerful God of heaven? That he's going to say, you know, I didn't really think they would use that much fuel. No. He made a promise. Remember after the flood? The promise that he made? And he took that symbol, the rainbow, as a seal of that promise. And look what we've done with that. And he said, as long as this earth remains, seed time harvest, the seasons, they're going to keep on going. And we and we get all worked up and all worried and full of anxiety. Remember who's in control. Remember the promises that He's made. Remember who the King is when you get all worked up. You know, the Scripture teaches us that the Lord had a plan for the church before the foundation of the world. And we come along today and we think we can improve on that design. It's foolishness. Everything that he's done, he's done in wisdom a deep, vast, unsearchable wisdom. Don't forget that and let that govern you and let that penetrate your thought process when you start thinking you've had a brilliant idea. Think about the Lord. And in wisdom, him doing everything that he's done. And Psalms 100, verse number 3, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. We are the people. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. I quoted that verse one time to a, a woman and she said, you know, she, she dealt with sheep a lot. And so I was just making conversation. Kind of, she said, I don't really like that illustration. And I thought, well, I didn't know where this was going. She said, sheep are stupid. And I thought maybe there's something. Maybe you've maybe you're onto something. I don't disagree. I've I've been I've worked on a ranch. I, I didn't do a lot of sheep, but, but but you know the whole livestock thing. And you think, man, these animals just—they're not very bright. Sometimes <laughs> we're trying to help them. we t- well, of course, well, there is that we want to eat them at the end. But maybe they, maybe that's maybe that's part of the problem. But you know what? The contrast between the shepherd and the sheep, that the shepherd can see what the sheep need and is trying to to lead them to a place that's good for them, where they can grow and accomplish their purpose. That's the illustration. We're the sheep. We need the shepherd that has the wisdom. And he has vast, vast stores of wisdom and understanding and guidance for us and we turn up our nose at it, the Lord knows. He made us and He knows what we need. He knows what's best. And we need to have confidence and trust in that. Psalms 139, verse number 3. In Psalms 139, verse number 3, you comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. When we talk about the Lord's knowledge, We need to let that hit home and and know that the Lord knows who you are. Psalm 69, verse number five. Oh God, you know my foolishness and my sins are not hidden from you. You know, a lot of people have this unrealistic view of who the Lord is. They have this concept of God that's not really very accurate, don't they? And it doesn't line up with the Lord as we see Him revealed to us in His Word. And you know what the reality is? is? a lot of us have the same unrealistic view of ourselves as we stand before God. But we need to understand that He knows us. He knows us for who we are and there's nothing hidden from Him. And we need to realize that when we consider who the Lord is and how great the Lord is. 1 Kings verse number 8, verse, chapter 8, verse 27, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heavens of heavens cannot contain you how much less the temple which I have built. As Solomon completed the temple that he built, he makes a dedication, offers a prayer, and then comes to this place. It's kind of looking at the the great amount of work, this great construction project of this beautiful, detailed, ornate structure that had been built. And he says, this can't contain you. You occupy heaven and earth, how much less this this house that I've built. And so at the end of this work, he came to a point of humility and recognizing who the Lord was and how big the Lord was and how he was present everywhere. And it's important for us to come to that understanding. It's important for us to know who the Lord is, how big he is, How set apart that He is. How powerful He is. How deep His wisdom is. And then in Acts chapter 17 and verse number 24, He said, God who made the world and everything in it, because He's all powerful, He's the Creator, He's the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is He worshipped with men's hands as though He needed anything. Since He gives to all life, breath, and all things, and He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. As powerful as God is, as wise as God is, as big as God is, He's a God that desires to have a relationship. And He's designed things and He wants you to seek after Him and come to know who the Lord is and to share who He is with others around you. And He's not far. He can be found. You know, we could continue our our study for a long time this evening, but I won't do that to you. When we kind of transition over from some of God's attributes to His character, His nature. Who is the Lord I want to wrap up this evening with this verse from Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6. It says, Without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he that comes to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. The Lord is a rewarder. And you need to know the Lord. And I hope that we have reminded you of some things about who the Lord is. And I hope that as we go back to that slide that we opened with and we think about the words of the psalmist, Blessing God. And praising God. And he said, I'll do this every day forever and ever. I hope that when the question, who is the Lord, is asked, that if someone was a bystander in your life and they just watched from a distance, that they would know who the Lord was. That those words would be descriptive of you. That they could learn from your actions, from your words, from the way that you live your life, who the Lord is and where He stands in your life. And I hope that we've equipped you to better share who the Lord is with others around you and encourage you to think about that and to be able to to sit down and open God's book and help others come to know who the Lord is. So as we close, wrap up this evening and review, He's not a man. Who is the Lord? He's not a man. He's high and lifted up. He's not subject to time. He's not subject to the desires and the passions that we are. He's so much higher and greater than that. He's so powerful. He's in control. He's all powerful. And we get all worked up and all anxious and all worried. And we need to remember who the Lord is. And we need to remember that He knows the end of the thing from the beginning. And let that build a confidence in you and I, in His plan and His design. For every element of life for the way the family's structured, the way the church is structured, and so on and so forth, to trust God that He knows there's nothing unexpected going on as far as He's concerned. There's nothing that He didn't see coming, if you will. And that knowledge that He's all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful, and all-present God. A God that's not far off. And a God that wants to have a relationship with you. And with Everyone on the face of the earth. And so if we've come to know who the Lord is, then we know that we want others to come to know who the Lord is and where he belongs in their life. lesson yours this evening. They were like closed service without extending an invitation. If you know the Lord and you're not living like you should be in light of that knowledge, we would encourage you to make the changes that you need to make. Remember, He knows who you are. Your heart's an open book before Him. There's no creature that's not manifest in His sight. Do what you need to do. If you haven't come to know the Lord, if you've got questions, please find someone. I'd be happy to, to open God's book with you. I know many of the brethren here would be happy to study with you about who the Lord is, and about what His expectations are for you and I. And I hope that you'll be motivated and encouraged to go out and to share who the Lord is and community around you. If you have a gospel need this evening, whether that be to obey the Lord in baptism, if you've been taught about that and you know that you need to do that and you've been putting off doing that, we would encourage you to make that decision. If you've done that and you need to make a change, we're here to serve one another in love. We're here to assist one another and encourage one another. We're not in a hurry. We're not in too big of a hurry to help anyone who has a need. So if we can be of service to you in any way this evening, please let that be known by having a seat on one's front pews while together we stand and sing the song that's been selected. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.